Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Looking around, I finally see I think I need a change The rat race I want to flee My world I'll rearrange I'm getting back to the roots Of how it's meant to be Growing gardens, picking fruit Racing livestock, living free It's a modern homestead Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. My name is Harold Thornbro, and I'm joined today by Eddie Garcia. Eddie is, uh, he's doing some interesting things. He's down in, uh, you're in Maui, right? I'm on Maui, yeah. Okay, uh, and you have a website called Living Earth Systems, and um, like I said, you're doing some really cool, looks like off-grid stuff down there, and um, man, I just want to hear your story. I want to hear all the things you're doing. Sounds like you got some really cool stuff going on, uh, so would you take a couple minutes to just kind of talk about your journey getting there, uh, kind of how you got started in the uh, whole uh, permaculture, regenerative farming, homesteading thing? I'd like to hear your story. Yeah, cool. Well, hi, everybody. My name's Eddie, um, and, uh, and why we'd like to tell you a law and just share the law from where we're at here. Uh, I grew up here in Hawaii for the most part, um, living in a pretty recluded valley on one of the smaller islands on Molokai, um, between there and Maui, growing up surfing, hunting, fishing, diving. We have access deer here and goat and wild boar, um, and we can grow just about anything. We have a lot of challenges we're up against. Um, I, what I had for an example around me was the giant pineapple industry and the cane industry and deforestation and a lot of just bad things going on around us in Hawaii. Most of the Hawaiians have been displaced. Their land has been stolen from them. Um, and so this giant agricultural industry sort of took over the island. And then when it came time to give the land they leased back, they sold it and, uh, put giant gentlemen's estates everywhere on the ag land. So it's really hard to get ag land here. And we need to sort of, in my journey, I realized, oh, we need to hold on to our ag lands um, so that we can show people how to grow food and promote some stewardship uh, around us rather than these bad examples we've seen. So yeah. uh, from an early age, I was pretty much growing food and realizing that I could be on the giving end of the stick by growing some food in some natural ways that I see the forest doing. And so now, you know, 40, 50 years later, through lots of trial and error and lots of mistakes and lots of triumphs, piling things, putting some earthworms in them, planting a few trees around it, getting record yields. And then as I got older, um, I didn't really go to school. I really only went to about the fourth grade. Um, so my education has mostly come from what I do in the ground. Some, uh I was also able to travel quite a bit. I had some sponsors surfing and kite surfing. So I've traveled around quite a bit and I've gotten to see farming in other countries. And uh, so 
between being able to travel and see what people were doing in other countries and not really having school to go to, I would basically just surf and garden. And that's kind of like my thing. And then a good life. <laughs> yeah. As a young teenager, um, in some years, I was uh, living with a family on Molokai for several years, a very, very Hawaiian family that I was hanaied into, which means kind of adopted into. Um, and living with them, they were still, the university was only offering them triple 16 and mo monocropping, chemical fertilizers and till the soil. There was nothing like speaking of how their ancient ancestors did it. So I spent a lot of time at Bishop Museum and trying to research how the old Hawaiian agricultural systems were set up, which were really amazing from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the ocean. It's called an a'upua'a. Uh, and it means that that the people who have bananas in the mountain trade with the people who have fish at the ocean and everything in between. And that the stream is taken care of from the mountain to the ocean and all the resources are shared. So looking at that and then seeing the examples around me like sugarcane and pineapple uh, going, wow, we need some better models. So as I started to mature a little bit, I think into my 20s. And uh, so I really wanted to push some of the agriculture that I'd been doing for, you know, a decade and a half or so as a kid and going, wow, this really works. I'm getting giant taro, giant papayas, I'm not using any fertilizer, I'm managing leaves and compost and wood chips and fungal material, mushrooms, mycelium all together. And it's working. You don't have to feed a forest. So for the last 20, almost, almost 30 years now, 25 years solid, I've been trying to push forward a model of agriculture that I've been building, very similar to permaculture. But I, I did a lot of consulting as I was building farms. And most of the farms that I would go to were sold half a vision of permaculture. In the beginning, it didn't have a whole lot of academia that was out there. And people were putting carpet in the ground and tires and thinking that they didn't have to do any hard work, that it was going to be really easy. Um, so I found myself going, okay, what's the next step from permaculture? The next step from permaculture is actually to regenerate, regenerative agriculture, knowing that so much damage has been done that to be farmers, we have to work really hard, but we're going to be proud of it. It's going to change our life. And we're going to me measure our wealth differently, our evaluation of what we're on this planet for. Um, and stewardship is amazing. So how do we do that? How do we go away from like the big trap i don't know how to say it the, the big illusion that everyone's trapped in that the average person is 20 kilowatts of electricity a day and the resources are dwindling and people are wearing plastic all over their bodies and eating food that has plastic in it and chemicals and everything else so our cancer rates are through the roof people are unhappy um and we've given our whole life of the food we produce we've given it to the industry to a few giants that look at the land only as money. And so I'll give you a good example of that. In my model of agriculture, I create an island. And on this island, there's trees, there's understorage, there's root crops, there's herbs, there's natives. And one island is worth about $8,000 a year. A hundred islands on a small quarter acre farm is $80,000 a year. You're harvesting all year round. It's beautiful. The soil gets built at an astounding rate, just how a forest does it. Um, one sugarcane plant is worth $600 a year as sugarcane juice at our farm stand. Yeah. Um, a sugarcane plant that destroyed all these fields around me was worth about 25 cents of an entire plant for the year and a half it grew there because they burn the entire field. 
They left all the plastic in the ground. They burned the microbes in the soil and tilled eight feet down. Um, so that's the legacies. I have three different farms. I have 180 acres spread on the North Shore. I have about 40 acres right on the coastline uh, on the south west, southwest side of the island. And about four miles down the road, I have another 17 acres plus um, along a river in Olawalu, which is the really dry side of the island. So I've set up these demonstration farms with regenerative agriculture, and we're pulling record yields, record nutrient density, a tenth of the water of conventional farming. And all of the farms are mind-blowingly beautiful. Um, we're taking places, we're taking out hundreds of tons of trash and plastic that's been left. We're rebuilding the soil, we're adding earthworms, we're adding trees, and we're doing all this with zero chemical or fertilizer inputs and zero pesticides. And then along with it, we bring in an intern program where we're teaching young folks, old folks as well, uh, that come with us on a year-long program and a three-year-long program where they learn all of this model of agriculture along with the homesteading that comes along with it. Everything is 100% off-grid. Um, we create everything on site. And uh, yeah, so those... It, it's we were talking about my journey, but to get to this journey, this is what I've come up with myself of trying to be able to give back to my community and maybe even possibly give back to humanity in a sense of uh, mm -hmm. that people are really looking for the answers. And while they were off in college and going to school and doing all the things they had to do, I was right there with my face down into the dirt 12 hours a day, um, getting cut and scratched and learning lessons from nature. So I have this to put forward. Also, I've been living off of solar since I was probably 14 years old on when solar was not even a thing. I was using uh, the car lights out of the back of cars as 12 volt lighting systems and hooking them up to car batteries and running car, car stereo for music and living out in the jungle with everything I needed for electricity <laughs> um, that way. So I'm going to slow down off of this. You kind of got an idea like well, I've had this journey being in cl really close to nature. Um, and so now I'm trying to take this model of agriculture forward that includes homesteading um, and this kind of thing. And so we make films, we have a nonprofit, we have a pretty decent presence out there right now. And we're pushing pretty hard also with our films and some of the other things we're doing to bring some awareness on a larger level. And so that's why the publicists have set up a bunch of different uh, podcasts and stuff yeah. to talk about this and hopefully we can inspire some people we've also done this in uh temperate climates on a two-year case study uh exactly some of the things i'm doing and i've traveled so much that i've introduced a lot of these things into these living earth systems yeah. one last before i quit a living earth system combines all these things that i'm talking about farming homesteading but it has a huge component of vermiculture it has a huge component of aquaculture and uh, very different methods. Rather than keeping them in bins, they're actually in and out of the ground. The, uh, the aquaculture, the aquaponics that are my own types of aquaponics, and also the vermiculture. So a, a different take on a lot of things that could even walk close to values with Korean natural farming and uh, the one straw revolution and agroforestry. So that's what a living system is. They're all around us in nature. We're trying to plagiarize them. Well, I love it, man. I love that you're 
building these closed loop systems and you're, you're, uh, introducing other people to that. Uh, you say you're, you're, you have a project going on in a more, uh, temperate climate. Where would that be? Is it here? So we had a project going on that we did a two year case study and that was in San Diego in the Fallbrook okay. area. I've also um, created some atmospheric watering systems that I've been testing. So we were doing some testing on some avocado groves. And also we had a small little homestead with someone that has a, a meadery there in uh, Southern California, where we turned pool into one of our living earth system, natural aquaponics. And then we took a parking lot that those guys know as decomposed granite. And they don't know that it's basically, and we turned that parking lot in a year into record yields. And not only that, we grew a lot of the plants we grow here in Hawaii. We grew mm -hmm. sugarcane and taro, but we also were able to grow things that we can't grow here. Yeah. Peaches, apples, and it was the, the the yields. I think we have a case study that's on our website, probably in our blog. For instance, one single butternut squash over a course of six months, we harvested 2,400 pounds from. All documented, uh, which wow. is, it's a it's like we should have put it with a Guinness book or something and have that. No kidding. This was in decomposed granite. So my take on it was, hey, this is rock as old as it gets. We don't even have that in Hawaii. So all we have to do is add organic material and life to it. And lo and behold, that's what we've seen transpire there. So uh, we had way less pests on the mainland here where we have to weed eat once, twice a week. It's relentless the amount of work we have to do there. On the mainland in a temperate zone, all the weeds die. I think we had to weed eat that entire acre maybe twice in a year, uh, which is that's not the way it is in Hawaii. Yeah. We'd have to 40 times in a year. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm sure our, uh, I mean, I'm in Indiana and I, I know we're a world of difference here as far as what we're doing, but, but as far as developing a regenerative farm or in my case, a homestead, um, you know, I'm doing a lot of the same things. We're on a small piece of land. We basically took just an ordinary urban property, kind of transformed it into a homestead. Again, what I'm doing, you know, I got verma, uh, vermicomposting, we have aquaponics and I have my, it's funny cause I have my fish in the ground also, which is kind of cool, but I, I have done them in tanks as well. And, um, you know, doing a lot of the same stuff, but for me, you, you said something earlier about all the plastics and all the preservatives and all the, you know, poor food and just what we've given into as lifestyle. And I know you don't know my story, but at 40 years old, which was, you know, 11 years ago now, you know, I had colon cancer and, uh, it's what it was really sparked, uh, you know, a, a, an attitude in me to do something, you know, to do something different and eat different and grow my food and grow healthy stuff, you know, and have some nutrient dense food and have uh, a healthier lifestyle. And, um, yeah, I'm, and I have a desire to see anybody who wants that to be able to have it. And that's why I really appreciate guys like you who are showing the way, you know, showing folks how to do it and uh, do it wherever they're at, because not everybody has 180, 180 acres, you know, to build a farm out of, but you know, the majority of people have a backyard. And I really like it when people can take that and do something with it that uh, can benefit them, their neighbors, a community, and so on. So I really love what you're doing there. Can I chime in on that note right yeah. there? Yeah. So the, the only reason I have the larger spreads is that I also am in at a point right now where if we can show what we can do on the small homestead can also be scaled up not giant scaled up thousands of acres, but 50 acres at the, at the max on the tests. Mm -hmm. And the only, I have 180 acre lease is it was an, a, a, a valley that's been known as a dump. It's even been written into the Hawaiian language as a dump for the last mm -hmm. hundred. 
rocks. And so I spent three years cleaning it, chopping out invasive, cleaning the river, turning it into a place that we can hand back to the community and trying to show people that we can scale it and clean these things up for relatively low numbers compared to what people are getting for tax write-offs and stuff. Um, so we can take back alleys that have been dumped in. That's been a huge problem here through colonialism and the displacement of the Hawaiians and the giant agro industry coming in. Trash everywhere from giant trucks to train stations to massive DDT chemicals and stuff around that's been left in these areas. So the large scale for me is really what I'm about as well, is we've been setting up aquaponics like in inner cities and trying to show people how to turn a parking lot and a house that has a swimming pool into a major food producing, whether they're feeding all their own food out of it or they're taking care of five of their neighbors as well. That's the idea is so that we actually get rid of landscapes that don't serve us, that don't serve the natives. I make biological swimming pools. So I turn pools into aquaponics and the kids still swim with the fish. And then all of the landscape on the entire place, now the Aurora toads can drink out of it and the birds and the bees can drink out of it. Where uh, swimming pools are a giant killer of the life around them because of the chlorine. Anybody that's ever owned a swimming pool knows the amount of chemicals you have to dump in that thing to keep it clean. (laughs) And that's why they use a pool guy so they can deny it. Yeah. And and dumping that right into the ground. So that really, that's a major passion of mine that that really needs to change. No, they really need to put a lid on that. So by the way, it's just in reference to, I, for me, I think we need to take these food deserts in the inner city. I almost bought land in Detroit to do it, but then COVID hit. And I wanted to go back to a place like that and show people that, look, these inner city parking lots that are empty, let's make food producing systems there. Let's heat the water compost. Let's show that there's areas where these food deserts can actually take care of, you know, one lot, 30 to 50 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really inspired by that. So I'm super stoked you're doing that and glad to hear about your journey through the colon cancer. And obviously sounds like you're on top of things with it. So really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about, uh, what it takes to really clean up the land. Like, you know, especially in the cities, even if you're not on a parking lot, even if you have the land, there's a lot of, uh, heavy metals that get dumped in that the waters, you know, I live, like I said, people think, well, you live in Indiana, it's Midwest farm country, man, the, the farming industry dumps more chemicals than anybody. I mean, it's unreal. They're spraying every field with everything and stuff's going everywhere. It's ruining the water supplies. You know, what do you do? I mean, that's what I, I like to talk a little bit about that. What do you do? No. So it's heartbreaking. And yeah. the only thing I know how to do is on a people level, get people inspired to take their food back. Let's buy land, not for building houses or for speculating, but creating a different type of wealth. Let's buy land next to rivers. Let's stop that runoff. Let's build berms in between the farms that are letting that run in and make them accountable for it. Let's stop them being able to do that. That's the giant corn, soybean, canola, beets, that industry that's out there that most of that is not even food. Most of that is going for fuel and textiles and anything but food. They claim as little as uh, 10% of any of that agriculture is actually going to feeding people. So you have the giant big companies like, uh monsanto's and bear and all these different guys that are really taken over we as people we need to take that back and that's the only way we're going to have clean streams so all i can do is show people that in a year we can take something that was destroyed and started on a journey of prosperity 
and even within the short term produced a little, the last farm we took a, a 12 acre area we started it and a year later we'd give we'd grown 200,000 pounds of food without a single drop of fertilizer or chemical and we were able to give that to our community through covid um on the bright side out of that the agricultural USDA recognized that and they gave us a million dollar loan to buy land that we could do the same thing on. And now we're trying to teach others, hey, not only can you do this, but the USDA has billions of dollars sitting there to empower this. And they're on board with the movement of change right now because those old models are not serving us. And the new generation wants environmentalism and those old guards are getting pushed out. So as that happens, the best way I know is to physically get in and do it, document it, publicize it, show the results, and try to really inspire others on a multiple levels mm-hmm. that you can in a parking lot or we can take a valley that's been destroyed that's dumping into the stream. And then we can put pressure on the agricultural industry and say, hey, no more. Be a part of the solution and we'll buy your food. If you're a part of the pollution, we're boycotting you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I've known a lot. I mean, I've talked to a lot of farmers. A lot of farmers live around here. And, and you know, a lot of them have a heart to get away from it. But uh, like I've said many times, it is. It's like turning a huge ship. It's slow and it's hard. And it's hard to break away from that and just do a 180. I mean, you'd almost go bankrupt if you just did everything immediately and tried to turn it around. But, you know, there a lot of them are trying to do it slowly. But a lot of times uh, the 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 systems that be, you know, that are already there don't make it easy for sure. So that's one thing we focus on as well. If we're going to tell you, hey, take the small farm back and give up your uh, 300,000 chicken operation or your thousand acres of corn operation, it's only so expensive to run because you're running the thousand acres. Now yeah. put not of that acres fallow, allow trees to grow back, uh, yeah. bring in an eco uh, animal retreat, get gut. There's so much government money for native habitats. There's billions that people are unaware of. Start putting native habitat. Now take the 200 acres you saved and rotate that out, scale down, sell yourself for five times as much because it's organic and regenerative. It stands around you, bring tours, bring education, bring multiple facets of money in and plant with different models like agroforestry that you're harvesting from 30 different crops at the same time. And you're getting top dollar for everything because you're selling straight at farmer's market to the public. So these are the models you put forward and there's a giant movement. But if you're the farm farmer in Iowa, you need to come see it. So it's kind of funny. I have people from Iowa and farms. People visit my farm regularly. And the first thing they they used to think is, oh, this is in Hawaii. You can do it there. It is 10 times harder for us in Hawaii. We lose 80% of our crop to the fruit fly. We have every pest that you guys have, plus everything from Asia and Africa and everywhere else, all year round. Nothing to so we have weeds that go relentlessly. I get two inches of rainfall a year on this side that I did the 200,000 pounds of food out of. So I have to be creative and really creating resilient systems that work. So what we need is we need to educate these people and we need to inspire them 
So here in Hawaii on my local, we try to do hands-on, get them involved, show them how they can do these things. In the world, we film it. When other people in the world and other places see it, they're like, wow, that resonates with me. I can do that now. So we try to get them to reach out and then we mentor them through the processes of how to step away from that large giant monocrop and step into something that's like an agroforestry system. Um, and that actually saves them tons of work in that larger scale. And that's what permaculture was talking about that the individual forgot about or didn't realize. I like that, man. I like that you have a solution for it because I hear that's mentioned a lot. You know, folks say, well, you know, it'd be nice if you could turn that around, you start taking steps, but it seems like it's a 50 year project, but it sounds like you've really thought this out and you've come up with a solution. That's a lot quicker of a turnaround to get it producing something that can support your family, provide food for others and, and, and accomplish something better for the planet too. And I like that because I don't hear a lot of solutions. I just hear everybody talking about the problem. <laughs> So, so let's just take, for instance, a model of a thousand acre farm that's in production. It's running costs between black line, between black plastic for the ground, between uh, chemical fertilizers, between pesticides, between labor, between uh, the changing of the land, displacing the bees, they have to blink bees in for pollination. So many different factors in it. That same thousand acres could be managed passively um, and actually completely regenerated within three years wow. with the money that it took for the input to keep that thousand acres producing. Now, maybe that the output, the profits received from that thousand acres, that might far exceed it. Um, you know what I mean? But just the input that you put maintaining that property to get that money back, it would take that much to turn that thousand acres completely regenerative yeah. and bring 200 acres of it into a cycle that would be able to actually serve and probably not, you know what I mean? The money you put in that thousand acres isn't coming back that year, but within right. a three cycle, it starts to pump itself in. So it's, like, a, it's a gross, it's a gross revenue versus net income too. I mean, right. I, I used to have a trucking company. I know. I mean, you, you look like you're making tons of money. I had several trucks running. We're, we're hauling freight all over the country and it looks like you're making a ton of money. But in the end, you know, it's it's a lot of money's going right back out. And that's how it is in the big farming industry. I mean, they're buying million dollar equipment and, you know, and paying for labor and this and that. And it's just it's going out. And, yeah, you might have a little more hands on on a small organic farm. But, uh, yeah, the payoff, you know, in the big picture is way, way greater. Yeah, let's let's look at that up close even for a second. The average um, big farmer with thousand acres of canola or corn is sitting in a desk. That's this farmer. He's hired that everybody. He's trying to pay them as little as he possibly can. He's got these nasty feed contracts. He's got to buy chemical fertilizer. He's behind a computer all day. Yeah. Now, you drop that down to 200 acres, you may be out in the field more, which means you're going to live longer. Um, one thing right off the bat. <laughs> but uh, the cost, in reality, I talked to someone that I think their net was over $2 million a year, and they were bringing in 100000 a year. And I'm yeah. showing up you know, you can take four acres of that and bring a hundred thousand dollars a year profit with only having a two hundred thousand a year net, you know, or what output up there. And you're getting the same thing for a fraction of the work once you've gone that big or a different kind of work. So yeah. there's this stuff and we have to kind of make that real obvious to people. So we have to inspire them. We have yeah. to show what it looks like on the ground. And that's all what I'm all about. A lot of guys talk about permaculture. They talk about these models they built. They built, they put books out there and guys follow them like a cult for years and then become certified after two years. And a lot of enthusiasm gets ahead of the facts and a lot of stuff 
lost in translation. So we need working models. We need solid working models with data that we can put forward, but they also, we also need to inspire. Yeah, I agree. And you're right. I mean, I think a lot of it is that they have a thousand acres and in their mind, they can't contemplate not using that entire thousand acres to farm in, in a, in a, um, you know, more uh, regenerative way. Uh, they want to take that entire thousand acres and turn it around and do that with it. And that that's where I think it, you know, the reality of it escapes because it's like, you can't really do that um, quickly, especially, I mean, it's going to take decades to turn that entire thing around probably, but like you're saying, set aside a portion of it to actually run your farm, make just as much money in the end. Um, and uh, yeah. And, and you turn the rest into useful in another way it, it yeah it's not a farm anymore but it's providing you know it's it's back to nature in a big well, way well here's the thing it is a farm as well and i'm going to give you a classic example of a thousand acres in a temperate zone okay uh so there's a bunch of other trees around it that need pollination a certain time of the year they're having to move the bees there to pollinate them now you have a thousand fields canola field or a corn field or whatever it is there um and the bees are actually pollinating that too when they're brought in So now you knocked 900 acres out of it. You kept 100 acres. Now what you would do with that 900 acres is you would topographically berm it or whatever it is you have to do um, and bring it back to contour rather than straight lines. Mm -hmm. It's not major, major contour work, even on a thousand acres like that, if with the way things can be set up. Um, Then it's about throwing seed balls and it's about a lot of the trees that you're planting targeting uh, a different um, market, targeting chestnuts, targeting maple, whatever it is in your area, yeah. targeting native trees that are also have an economic value to them. Yeah. And then planting predominantly reforesting with those kinds of trees. But not only that, they serve native wildlife. So now you can on that thousand acres, you can bring hunters in, you can bring bird watchers and naturalists in whatever you're. So it, it's it's applicable to a bunch of different lifestyles in within the middle of these areas so you you let it go fallow but you go you let it go fallow with some implementation of a berm here some seeding here a little bit of contour here and then you consciously take 10 percent of the income from the 100 acres and you create a maintenance plan over those three years and that's really all it takes is creating that maintenance plan over the three years Within 10, seven years, it's mind-blowing the productions out of things like this. And yeah. it's, it takes on a whole new life rather than just this giant field. And it doesn't take the decades that people think it may take. With the- yeah. And I think I also think a lot of people just, they they bought into this um, illusion, you used the word earlier, uh, that, you know, those farms are feeding the world. And like you said, they're not feeding the world. You don't need all that thousand acres to feed the world because that's not where it's going anyway. It's going into other kinds of production for other things. And it's just, uh, you know, it's a, a mind game, you know, that, I mean, people have been convincing people for so long that you have to have that. So everybody can eat when I eat pretty good from a quarter acre, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. Like I said, the last quarter acre, 200,000 pounds of food, there's no way on earth we could eat all that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if uh, uh, you want me to walk you around for a second in the farm I'm sitting on right now while we're sure, talking. Sure, go right ahead. Yeah. I don't know if that one, I'm, I'm on wireless and solar. I'll, I can't walk too far, but I can kind of give you a little idea what's going on here. We're going to step out of my little tiny house office here. And I'm going to show you that nothing besides the trees in the background has been growing here longer than four months. Wow. 
papaya trees you see right here. Yeah. Those are four-month-old papaya trees. Yeah. Um, if you look behind you, orange trees, mango trees, um, all the stuff with a heart-shaped leaf is taro, sugarcane, bananas. We make these piles, and then squash grow all over the pile. <laughs> and then we set the piles up with um, buckets with earthworms that they live in the piles, and the earthworms actually go throughout the pile and we grow five, 6,000 pounds of squash on a hill like this, uh, three, 4,000 pounds of taro. When the papayas start to come in here in a few months, like what's behind us, the numbers, this is not even a uh, 15th of an acre right here. And we'll probably do 15, 20,000 pounds. And wow. anywhere I go right here that you can't see underneath it is all sorts of different carrots, pineapples. I can go anywhere in the ground here and just pull out. These are baby purple carrots right here. So yeah. all around me, there's like such a crazy abundance. And this whole orchard, we took almost 100,000 pounds of trash out of here. They didn't even know these trees here. They were dead five months ago. But we had to clear all these giant trees that you see in the background there. Mm -hmm. And that's what we made these piles with. And now look at the yields of the mangoes on these trees. It's like they're amazing. touching ground it's so astronomical yeah um and now we have this place that was a dump and had trees in it that were pretty much all dead and we have this just incredible utopia we only touched mm -hmm. this property a year ago including trimming the giant trees and now like i said all the lower stuff has all just been in the last few months asparagus clover peely bananas stevia papayas pineapples mangoes oranges broccoli <laughs> little ponds everywhere that i set up that are for my honeybees um oranges bunches of different kinds of oranges starfruit trees that do a thousand pounds at a time and then this is the little homestead operation we're walking into now um i mean if i do it sideways a little better this is where my interns all hang out here they have these little huts that are like tents and then right here is the homestead hub the homestead hub is a uh, uh solar system for batteries eight panels uh 12 volt it's got elon musk satellite on the top um there's a refrigerator a freezer a 12 volt water system um a shower uh hot water system uh and then one of my patented uh drainage systems this is vetiver grass has a 30 foot root on it and so we make a cylinder with earthworms. And so all the gray water comes in there. It tests way more clean than all the city standards and state standards. Wow. All these trees you're looking at were dead five months ago. They were sticks. And through this, uh, creating these piles, uh, those are three-month-old moringa tree behind me right there. Again, these are five-month-old papayas away from the pile. But as the pile gets more adapted you can see these other papaya trees here in front of us mm -hmm. those are four and a half month old papaya trees and then all that greenery you see all the way down there that's probably five thousand carrots and beets and oh. then you see other piles that'll go into production and i'm clearing the land as i'm planting and creating the homestead and this is all within one year of this property and mostly just me by myself um, and now I have interns that come in and stay with us and stuff. I already have ripe papayas on the trees at five months. The average papaya tree does um, about 40 um, pounds a year, 
40 to 60, I'm getting upward of 200 pounds of papaya tree a year. Um, so it's pretty mind blowing what's, uh, what's what we're able to do in a very short time and what's able to happen. Um, here. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean, you're doing some, I mean, you're proving it can be done, you know, on, and, and fairly quickly and, 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 you know, it, it really, any piece of land and even on a piece of land, that's obviously had some uh, bad things happen on it and been turned around and you're doing some amazing things there. I mean, you got quite the little setup and you put some work into it, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt, uh, doing this, it, it doesn't just happen. You're going to have to get out there and do the work. I mean, you've done the work here you've proved it can be done. Yeah, so I think uh, kind of showing these examples, um, doing workshops, making films, uh, doing podcasts, and um, people with yourself that are sharing this with people and have a passion for it. I think uh, all of that's um, pretty important. So, yeah, that's why I'm sitting here talking to you. And I'm super inspired by guys like you, um, people that are out there doing it and putting it out there into the world. I just wish the people, uh, I mean, it's an audio podcast, so they're not they're going to get to see it like I did, but I, you gave them a good little audio tour of it there. It's pretty amazing what you're doing there. And uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, that's inspiring for folks who have a desire to get out of their mess, you know, because I think there's a lot of folks that are waking up to the damage that the, the way they've been farming, that it was handed down to them. A lot of them by their parents right. and grandparents and, and they want out, you know, they, they don't want to stop farming. They love the life, but they want to, they want to do it right. They want to do it different. They, they want it. They want the planet to be there for their great grandchildren, you know, and um, they want to change. And I think, man, you're setting up a great, great model there on how it can happen. And um, I'm, I'm curious if people want to reach out to you. I mean, they just come to your website and uh, get a hold of you there and, and get some more information about this. See your you videos. Can find, you can find us at livingearthsystems.com. You can find us on Instagram at Living Earth Systems. Um, you can also find our nonprofit at recenters.org. That's uh, regenerative education centers. Okay. Um, so uh also i invite people to reach out i believe my phone number is right there on the website or they can send me an email i try to uh talk to people we design systems all over the world we mentor farmers through change um and we work with them and we set them up plans we do site visits in certain places and mm -hmm. consultations we have online classes um so we're really about and we're moving forward a lot more with that uh, I didn't grow up in the computer world, so I have a team of people that are helping me uh, put some of that together. I do create all my own films and uh, direct them and step through all the editing personally and stuff. So I will send you a couple of links to our films sure, and yeah, do that. possible way you can share some of our little short stuff yeah. with people as well. Yeah, we absolutely. have a good get it all on the notes and get it out there and yeah. get it on the, on the website. And yeah, I, I, I would like people to, to take advantage of anybody that has a desire to, to turn that ship and do it quickly and, and in a way that won't you know break you or and, and it'll be better in the long term i mean i i want i'm encouraging them to reach out to you because you got great ideas on this and and you, you you're setting an example and you do farm tours down there i mean if somebody was i mean somebody owns a few thousand acres i mean if they want to fly down there and 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 take a tour i mean they could check out what you're doing it, it all the time i have yeah. many people i'm working with all over the world right now um and because i've taken the last few years and really set these models up real clear uh, with a really, uh, I've really uh, put a lot of my working systems together um, so that they're, uh, I don't know the word that I'm looking for at this moment, but um, yeah, I've kind of put them into working systems that people can relate to. 
and they can understand them. And I've taken a lot of the jargon out of it and making it common sense for people. There's too much jargon in there and people need to understand it on a fundamental hands-on level. So we need examples. They actually can see it. So I, I, every week I have people coming in, I do a regular tours here and they focus all about what we're doing. They're about regenerative agriculture and showing people how we do it. And again, we also run our intern programs and we run our, uh, uh, out-of-state intern program uh, online. So the same way people can reach out to us, they can ask us questions. If they have any interest and they want to make the change, I can guarantee you that we can show them how to make the change. And it doesn't take decades. It can happen so fast that it blows everybody's mind. That's great. That's good, man. Cause that's, you're the first person I've actually talked about it in a way that it's you know, it doesn't take your life. I mean, your entire life to do it. You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, I like that you're looking at it happening quicker because you know what? And, and the reality is change needs to happen pretty quick. I mean, things are getting, like I said, every time we have this, uh, uh, the DNR puts a paper out, uh, here and they talk about all the lakes and streams. that It's not safe to eat the fishes out of in Indiana where I live. And it's most of them. And yeah. And that's just sad to me. I mean, I love to fish. I love to hang out around the lakes and you, you know, they're not, they recommend you don't eat the fish out of them because of all the field runoff. And it's just, it's horrible. I do want to clarify. It does take your life. This episode is brought to you by Reese's peanut butter cups In breaking news. Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I mean the initial change. It, I mean, you can you, start making a change, yeah. It gives you the chance at being an elder and not just an older. Yeah. So like go. a lot of the older folks, and I don't say that with no disrespect to them, they learned chemical farming, they learned bigotry, they learned other things that were totally different. And the newer generations are like, no, we wanna take care of the earth. So yeah. the elders are gonna be the olders who go, you're right, let me show you by doing it and let me change my farm and change my example. And then I'm an elder and I can push that forward to the future. So I think that it will take your life because it'll show you a different meaning of wealth. It will, you'll wanna work all the time doing it you'll be more energetic. You'll be more disease resistant. You'll be happy to share the carrot you grew and you'll be happy to eat the carrot you grew when you taste the flavor and you realize the nutrient density of getting, connecting with nature again. So it will take your life. I want to point out. Well, yeah. I meant by I'm the, what I meant by that was, I think the, the solutions I've seen in the past, they want to talk about, well, you have a thousand acres. Let's just take one acre this year and one acre the next year and one acre. The, and they just want to slowly transform it into this permaculture right. food forest. And it's like, you'll never get that done your entire lifetime. Your solution says you can transform this pretty quick. Now. Yeah. You're going to be working on it the rest of your life, but the transformation as a whole is going to happen relatively quickly. That's right. Absolutely. And yeah. so I was kind of making a gist and a joke yeah. on the other. I got you. <laughs> I've been on a journey and you almost died and your journey took you here and it yeah. took your life, but it, it didn't take your life from you. Right, it took yeah. your, you're on a journney and you are a warrior. You're an ambassador. You'll never be the same. I'll tell you that. And I you never want to go back to that life either. I love growing my food. I love gardening and I love, and I love like you, I like educating folks about it too. You know, right your, your mission is maybe dealing with farmers and, and me, it's been more, you know, the homestead uh, size thing. I want to encourage, you know, 
family homes and take their backyard, grow some food. I know you're about that too, but your solutions are so much even bigger than mine as far as the, you know, these big regenerative farms that, um, you know, something I don't have a lot of experience with and I hear people talk about it and I'm glad you came on and, and shared those ideas with us. Cause man, I think there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast. I've had conversations with them that need to yep. hear that. So I want to throw one other note on that too, so the listeners can hear it as well, is that these thousand acre farms, what I really push is the 50 acre farm. But now imagine you had the thousand acres, you're making your 200 grand a year off your hundred acres. Mm. Why wouldn't you try to set up five young families with 50 acre farms or 10 young families with 50 acre farms and then keep 500 in conservation, five 50 acre farms. They all pay a rent to you and farm and learn that same thing. And they're going to need regenerative farms. There's going to be a need for it. It's coming. And so all these people who own these large tracts of land, I want to inspire them to start thinking that way because you can allow all that land to sit with the ideas of the future generations rather than just letting it go into development or what is usually the next course of farms that give up on the, you know, that giant mono. Yeah, it's crazy. Let's take this thousand acre cornfield. Let's turn it into subdivisions because I don't want to farm no more. (laughs) Yeah, I see a lot of that. We see that happening again and again. So how do we empower families for the future? And there is a whole generation of kids coming out right now that want to farm and they want to do it right. And uh, I forget what they call them now, Generation X or so. I, I, I can't even keep up. I, I lost but track. I'm an old man. I know. And it's crazy. And there's a lot of change in there. But these are the kids that are going to be in office. These are yeah. the kids that are going to be here. And so there, if you look, farmland is being bought at an astounding rate right now. And even for a lot of people pushing regenerative, you look at the newest movie from about the dinosaurs, Jurassic Park. It was all focusing on regenerative agriculture. Mm. First time I ever heard that in the mainstream. So that tells me that the time has never been riper for ambassadors of stewardship, such as yourself and myself, to really show people what's possible um, and that we can like take back our agriculture and our homesteads. And that's what our kids, the kids ran away from the homesteads because of James Dean in the city and a fancy car smoking a cigarette and technology. We yeah. have the chance now to walk back to technology, walk back to nature with technology. And now if farming is as cool as James Dean, that's what we need to make it. (laughs) So I teach all my interns kite surfing and surfing. I was kind of well-known for a little while in that whole industry. So it's kind of cool that like uh, farming is really becoming cool. And you have these young, bright minds that want to take the new movement forward and have it be cool. I know there's a, there's these, uh, I don't know if you have them down there, but there's all these homesteading conferences popping up everywhere all over the United States. And uh, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, I love seeing it too, because it's just, it's just fuels that fire, you know, and it's just, it, it's happening everywhere. I mean, I'm speaking at one in October there there's been like I think three of them, you know, this year in Indiana. I mean, they're just, they're popping up everywhere. And I love it that so many people have so much interest in this movement and uh, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a fire that's spreading. And I love it. This isn't something now I've been doing this podcast for years, like seven or eight years now. I think you're the first one that's been on here that's talked like this with a solution like that. And I love it. I love it. I thought, man. That's, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy what's happening right now. We need to watch this movement uh, forward. And like, we really need ambassadors of stewardship right now. We need people to see that we can diversify these farms. We can make better money than the giant slavery, in a sense, from the other farms that put us under. Um, and just all like, and we can, all my seed comes from my farms too. 99% of it, create my own seed all, you know, mm-hmm. on site, letting people know they can take their electricity back. They can take things back for themselves. And again, we've been talking about the larger farms and those stars and 
acre tracks, but you have a swimming pool in your yard, turn it into an aquaponic system. Yeah. You have crummy plants in your yard, plant some trees, plant some fruit, plant some food around you. COVID hits, I bet you'd be a lot happier with um, when that went down. I think that was a wake up call for a bunch of people, yeah. right? Yeah, it was for sure. I mean, I know just seeing, I mean, as a person who has a website and a podcast, the numbers of people who started like going to that and listening to the podcast after that was amazing. I mean, it just it ten tenfold immediately because people, you could just see there was a huge interest in it. Like, Oh man, my, my grocery store is in, empty. How do I grow food? You know, and kind of late to be thinking at the moment, but they got through it and now it's not time to let that go. It's time to actually barrel, get down on that and figure it out and start doing it because who knows what's next. Right. That's right. There's something around the corner. And I'm oh. not like a prepper. I know a lot of people are, um, but I think just to have the quality of life is what I also want to push with it. There's a wealth that comes with this type of living that is just immeasurable. And the old farmer knew that. They also knew the hard work out of it. But it got really disturbing when your hard work was just in a giant tractor on a straight field all day long. There was nothing fulfilling about that. It was dusty and gnarly. And then there, that, that's a different type of farming. And so people need to realize a farming that has this fulfillment with it and that walks right hand in hand with homesteading and living close to the land, the tiny house movement even. Yeah. And even just step back a little bit. I think when, when folks escape from the farm, I mean, you, there was a, um, a desire to escape a lot of that hard work, you know, and it's why I really like the modern homesteading movement, the modern farming, because you can bring in a lot of these modern technologies and things and do it right. And yet, you know, take a lot of that burden of some of that, the, of pure manual labor off of your shoulders that, that a lot of people wanted to escape. Cause in a lot of ways you can do things and it's a lot easier now than it was then. Yeah. So for instance, like, um, a tractor isn't necessarily the outlaw in farming. Cause yeah. if I want to pile wood chips and I want to chip invasive trees and turn them into fertilizer and I yeah. want to make piles, then a tractor is very useful to me. I show that the home person that they can do that with a wheelbarrow and a cutters and a pick and a chainsaw, no problem on a small scale. But if we want to push it up to 50 acre farms, we need to have a tractor. So how do we do that? The USDA gives out 1% interest loans. It's like 50 bucks a month to buy a tractor with. You just have to show them that you're committed to farming and homesteading. So there's the answers to that. And we need to give people these resources. USDA is even easier for the Midwest in America. They hand them out. We're hard to get it here in Hawaii. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, just with that in mind, some of the things we've had to do is five of us get together and buy a tractor and yeah. we get a nonprofit. Our nonprofit buys a tractor and then we let farmers use it. So we make it available. So it doesn't have to be out of your grasp. Two days yeah. with a tractor the entire year, all your infrastructure's in. You're just doing the same thing with pick and shovel and whatever you want to do at whatever level. But also mm -hmm. then you make enough money to buy a tractor or get the USDA loans or tap some of these resources that are out there. Yeah. And I just, so, I look at my little greenhouse, you know, just a few square feet because of pumps and timers and, and all this modern technology, the amount of food you're able to produce in there with very little effort is amazing, you know, with an aquaponic system in a greenhouse. I mean, it's, it's. You know, I mean, I, it, things are just a lot easier if you take advantage of some of that technology and it doesn't have to, I mean, it's hard work, no doubt, but it, it isn't the kind of work it was a hundred years ago, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, we don't have to carry a coal over the river anymore. Yeah. We can run a, a water wheel or uh, we can run a little small solar panel. And so, mm -hmm. like I said, here we have eight people on 800 watts of, of electricity coming in on solar, a tiny 12 volt system and eight people 
on that entire system on six hours of light. The math is less than 100 kilowatts a day for the entire group when it comes down into what what we put out we only use 20 percent of the system so we keep it up in the higher rate yeah. and everyone's got their computer tvs if they're watching that and the radios and blender refrigerator freezer satellite and we have all these things you know we're in a real and, and no doubt solar solar probably works a little better there than it probably does <laughs> no no argument <laughs> no argument but it, in, in other areas you have streams you have wind you have oh, just the, the only difference on that is a little bigger solar system. Yeah, right. Yeah, bigger battery but, but, pack. Well, I mean, you got to have a better storage system more than anything. Yeah, exactly. You can still get away with the same amount of electricity we're using, except in the winter. But then you guys have other alternatives for that for heating. That mm -hmm. makes it a whole nother ball game. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Well, man, you have you have you brought it. <laughs> you know, you you right share a lot of great knowledge here, man, and I'm. I'm going to encourage folks to check it out. I'm going to keep you all day, but man, uh, I want, I want people to reach out to you. Cause I know there's some folks that want to make this change and I hope they reach out to you and, and get some, uh, get some truth from you, you know, about how it can be done and, uh, and, and see the examples that you've put out there for them. Is there anything else you want to share before we, uh, yeah. come to a close here? I want to point out one last thing. I think in Hawaii, I didn't start pushing this until like hard until maybe the last five years. Cause I realized when, when I did the study on the mainland, I was like, wow, it's way easier over here. <laughs> People from the mainland would look at it and they'd write us off. You're in Hawaii. You can grow anything. You're inside sunny all year round there. What they don't realize is we have twice the time in because we can grow things all year round. Yeah. So where someone else is growing things for three months, we're growing things for 12 months. Not yeah. only that, we deal with every pest constantly. We deal with the worst of the worst, the heat, the weed eating, the labor. So it on the mainland anywhere, I would say, honestly, it is half the job of what we do here. And you have will have way higher success rates there than we have here. You won't be pillaged by the fruit fly and other things like we are. Yeah. So I just want to let people know that note because they might be thinking, oh, you're in Hawaii. And yeah, that's easy to say, but I'm in a temperate climate. So I just want to point practices follow into different climates using the plants around you. You may not be using papaya and banana, but you're going to be using something else that's around you into your area that will work in a same cycle that fits together in a system. I just wanted to, I, I think, what I, I guess what I probably noticed more than anything when you were doing a little walk around tour is you're, you're showing a lot of, I know a lot of these trees and stuff you're pointing at and you're saying this is five months old and this is so many months old and stuff. And I'm like, and that is true. You're going to have, a, you're going to have a lot of fast growing, more fast growing trees than what we're going to have here. I mean, nut trees take decades to, to no argument. mature and, and, you know, and there, but there are some things I'm like, I can grow fast, pawpaw peach and, you know, some apple trees grow pretty fast. I mean, not at that fast, but you know, so there might be a little extension on that as far as the growth time of things, but I think our soil is, is easy to maintain I think four seasons make for a really healthy soil, you know, absolutely. And, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so. better pest management. Yep. And then look at just some of the examples of corn and hemp getting 18 feet on the mainland. Things yeah. will, in Alaska, they'll grow things this big because the days are so long. We are studying servers. So when you guys get longer days, so if you are doing it the right way and healthy, even your growth of things can exceed ours, but not necessarily trees because right, trees yeah. have that constant cycle going. Yeah, so it's right. a little different trees. But a lot of your smaller and intermediate stuff and shrubs, goji berry, other things. So underling trees while you wait yeah. for the big ones, there's other strategies like that. Um, yeah. So that also, and we're happy to share that. Reach out and we'll make yeah. you feel like you can do it and show you that things <laughs> around are doable. 
Well, you've you've convinced me that it's possible to do quickly. I I came in this. I would, I like I, I said right off the bat. You know, it's a big ship. It takes for a long time to turn around, and you've convinced me otherwise now. And I've said that a hundred times on this podcast over the years. You know that it, hey, because I don't want to discourage people. I was like, you can do it. You can do it. But now you've given me an extra hope to give to people like you can do it fast if you need to, you know, relatively quickly. And uh, yeah, I definitely want people to to reach out to you and learn that because I think you're setting a great example there. So I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks okay. for having me and really appreciate it. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on and all the information you shared. And I love what you're doing and uh, keep up the great work, man. I love it. And, uh, and, and maybe if, if anything new happens, uh, you got some other project going on, you want to share with the world, man, come on, come on. I'd love to talk to you about it. Yeah, cool. Looking around, I finally see, I think I need a change. The rat race I want to flee, my world I'll rearrange. I'm getting back to the roots of how it's meant to be. Growing gardens, picking fruit, racing livestock, living free. It's a modern Like grandma did, sitting on her front porch, hunting and fishing like a kid. Once you've done all of your chores, it's a modern homestead. Build a modern homestead. Country or city, there's a way to make this change. You got. Today.